We depend largely on the public to help us solve crime. On May 10, 1967, three boys ages 11, 13, and 14 went missing in Mark Twain's hometown of Hannibal, Missouri. In season three of The Lost Boys of Hannibal, Boots on the Ground, we discover new information and details into the boys' disappearance. These are boys, little boys. You don't know what happened. You should try to find out what happened. Nothing should deter you from that. So, yeah, it angers me a little bit. When the deputy mentions these trees would have been here 51 years ago, that's when I immediately knew who we were looking for. Join us as we journey into Hannibal's biggest mystery to find the truth about what happened to Billy, Joey, and Craig. Hello darkness, my old friend. I've come to talk with you again. Because a vision softly creeping Left its seeds while I was sleeping And the vision that was planted in my brain Still remains within the sound of silence Welcome back to the Lost Boys of Hannibal podcast. I'm your host, Frankie, and with me as always... Chris Ketters. Chris, I feel like that came natural, but it's been close to six months. <laughs> it feels weird. It feels really weird. Like, is this what we're supposed What am I supposed to do with my hands? I, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we're giggling. I, I remember that. I remember we're not supposed to giggle. Not supposed to laugh in the face of tragedy. That's ever. right. So That's the best right. way to describe how long this case has been going on is if you're a car fan, the... Camaro's birthday is 1967. Yeah. So they were developed in 66 and they were sold in 67. So 55 years ago, um, we are looking at how long this case has been going on. And for us, it's been going on for close to three years. Yeah. Almost four now. So these, 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 um, these cases do take time. We did have some great reviews over the last couple months and, We've tried to give you guys some cues on our Facebook, and we've seen that grow exponentially over the last uh, couple months. We've also seen, I think, Chris, you just mentioned we've had 50,000 downloads without us doing an episode. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah, it's um, crazy how we're, we're expanding and we're not even trying. But uh, yeah, we appreciate everybody that's listening. I know there's some people that have been listening that are like, when's the next episode coming out? And it's and as we explained before, it just comes down to one of those things where we kind of have to have to give you something to listen to first before we can give you something. We don't want to give you a bunch of fluff and then you come away disappointed. So uh, maybe hopefully this episode won't be a fluff episode. <laughs> no, I don't think so. I think there's a lot of interesting stuff that's been happening and it's been going on. Um, but first, Chris, I, I know it's been a while, and, and we've gotten some really great reviews on um, not only iTunes, but on Podbean as well. And they generally come right around 4.8 is where, we're, where we are, which is good. So we've had some three-star. We've had some, uh, you know, five-star, some four-star. We like to keep it at five-star, but, you know, we do like people with opinions as well. We've always been um, objective with opinions as long as they didn't become personal. So, um you know, there's if it, it every show is. I mean, I, I get told a thousand times a day, you got to listen to this, and I listen to four or five episodes, and I'm like, I'm just not into it. <laughs> um, you know, and then I watch episodes. I watch these dramatic series, like, you know, I'll listen to a limited series podcast, like um, 
the thing about Pam. And Renee Zellweger becomes obsessed with it and decides to produce the TV show for Peacock. So hmm. um, if Zellweger's out there and she's listening to podcast, <laughs> I don't know who she would play in this film, but I mean, yeah. she's doing a dynamic job in the Pam Hupp situation that happened actually in Troy, Missouri. So that's why I'm bringing it up. It's another Missouri true crime tale. So it's a very, I, I, I think and I recent. See, I think I can see um, see a certain daughter of a certain uh, member of the family being Renee. Definitely uh, Denise Hogue. Yeah. Yeah, I actually, order. I think I think Candace could play. Could, that could be a Renee thing. I think that'd cool. be good. Yeah, maybe I, Sandra I Bullock that. or Julia Roberts. I mean, yeah, maybe, <laughs> I mean, we're gonna sw- we're gonna get a message about that now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Let's swing for the fences, guys. Let's yeah. swing for the. We're definitely. I'm always getting messages. Um, none of them are helpful, but it's, <laughs> it's all good. Um, so, welcome back to the show. I know it's been a while, and we can't promise that we'll put out an, an episode. Every uh, every week or every two weeks, but I, we're at least going to try to put out an episode a month. Um, as long as we get the information and as long as we get clearness to Chris thing, if it's not good content, then it's just not a good show. Um, so with that, I, I just do want to thank the people that are responding on, on iTunes and Podbean and some really great um, feedback about our show. Yes, our show is very different. We're trying to solve this. It's not just a daily mix and a recycled you know, story that you might have heard or 17 documentaries on John Wayne Gacy now. <laughs> so to even cover him is kind of like boring. There's really nothing left um, really in that case except for the six um, unidentified people that were in his basement. Right. So it, it may be and maybe a driveway in Waterloo. That is something that we are planning to do. Um, I have called our fabulous uh, – cadaver dogs in our unit and um we are we are deciding to to go out to waterloo and talk with the police out there and just you know what i just really want to cross the t's and dot the i's and i really want to put um john wayne gacy to a no percentage chance of the boys but i feel it behooves us to not be so you know sure about that um because you never know and you just never know with, with serial crimes. And so unless you have anything further, I can jump into a very good um, podcast uh, comment that we got, really. Uh, yeah, the um, only thing I will say real quick is, you know, and you kind of mentioned about our downloads, but also I mentioned about our discussion group. Even though we haven't had a lot of activity, our discussion group's now well over a 1,000 people in the discussion group, which is amazing to think about where we started a couple of years ago with that and where we are today. So, But uh, I'll throw the shameless plug. If you haven't been on our Facebook page, make sure to like our Facebook page. Between that and our discussion group, that's where all the updates happen at. And even some of the pictures that we have recently put out from some of the things we've had happen in the last couple months they're found on the discussion group page so you can check those out on there so if you want to see uh, some insider information uh, that is the place to check it out yeah and that's good information that reminds me of a good point too i have rejected a couple people from our private chat because they don't give us any information and you know if you listen to another podcast locally in missouri called generation y um, those guys have picked up 
a lot of steam lately, but with steam comes trolls. And we're really trying to avoid that in our discussion groups. And we've been very lucky and very fortunate. I think the maximum people we've actually banned is maybe two people mm-hmm. in the total of three years, which is phenomenal. But if you are if you want to join a private discussion group where you'll get to encounter and collaborate with other people, you're going to have to give us more information. And that's why we have those questions. You must answer those questions or we will decline you. Um, if you don't know how you heard us, just say, I don't know how you heard us, but clearly you heard us from something. So, um, you know, yeah, just scouring Facebook, trying to join groups. And that's the <laughs> other thing too. Sometimes you get people that are just, they're just group groupies. They have like, they're a member of 400 groups. So it's like, meh, we need people that are going to collaborate and, you know, all of our, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm sorry, Frankie. I, I just, you know, everywhere I go, you have groupies. I, I'm, they're going to come. I'm sorry. I they're just yeah, I, I got I got my groupies. <laughs> I clearly I did too, because um, yeah. it was the Frankie Show, according to one of our reviews. So I don't remember that part. But um, yep, we're still not making money. So I really wish that all these things were true. Um, yeah, it's been uh, been a fun ride with uh, some of those weird adventures we've gone down and had some some interesting comments and directions and you know you don't really I, I know you're you're going to go somewhere here in a second but it, it kind of just uh, reminisce for a second it's so funny that really the the visualize and speculate and look back to what we've done in the last three years and going back to everything from being threatened to be sued by by a by an author and spending time in the middle of nowhere with a bunch of uh, cadaver dogs and a bunch of forensic pathologists and forensic people and and police and what what in the world are we doing, Frankie? Because it I don't didn't know. feel like we were going to be doing this three years ago. <laughs> I don't know. Like when I was on, a, I was on a radio show. Oops, I'm bragging. Um, but I was plugging our show for Lost Boys of Hannibal to create awareness. When I'm on these shows, it's not for me and my credibility. Um, it's for our show and it's for awareness, which is very important to me because the more people that we have tuning in, the more they might remember. And we're starting to get some interesting things. We just had a really cool message uh, from someone that said he was nine years old in St. Louis City when the boys went missing. And his mom and his dad were very weird after this about them going outside anymore and exploring. Um, They were very cautious. And this is a kid that was growing up in, in St. Louis, which was, you know, an hour and a half from Hannibal. And so when we get stuff like that, it is kind of interesting to put it in perspective because He's not that old. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, 55 plus 9, you're c- close to like, you know, early 60s, which in today's world is not really that old. I mean, no. with our advances in technologies and medicine, I mean, like, you know, early 60s is like early 50s a couple years ago. So <laughs> these people are still fairly young and they remember this and it's bright in their head. And it's just interesting to see that. So that has always been my correlation is to try to draw somebody in to remember uh, Tommy Terrence Hill. And that just hasn't come to pass, unfortunately. Um, so, you know, one of the things that 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 we've been working on, aside from Tommy Terrence Hill, is that Texas is in, is in league with us. Um, they have released a lot of documentation on, on Terrence Hill, which is awesome. The DA doesn't have to do that, but they realize that, you know, we're kind of legit. And we do have a lot of cops and we have a lot of police and state agencies that are involved. And I think that you actually, I sent you the, um, and I posted a link of the show that I was on, the radio show that I was on that talked about this, that our relationship with state agencies and officers and, and then I made a, a direct comment post too about other people involved in the case, like, 
cave explorations and new cave openings in Murphy's and where the dig site is. And look, when somebody tells us that they don't want to be involved in our film, we can't mention them. We can't give them credit. We can't give them kudos because it's it, it really goes to a level of defamation and libel and all these other law things that are, in my opinion, ridiculous. But I will tell you this, that if there is a good ending, right, and there can never really be a good ending, but there can at least be closure. I, I will tell you that, like, everybody that, that touched this case, that helped in this case, you know, will be remembered in our documentary and will be remembered in, in this podcast. I will never leave anybody out because it's not ours to leave out. It's ours to kind of come together and do it. Now, whether people pursued profits or they pursued other things and wasn't necessarily pursuing finding someone, you know, that's on them. That's I, I can't be a, a judge and juror, you know, whatever, however they sleep at night is good with me. Um, but we did have, like I said, in our discussion groups, we're getting some really cool things. And one of the things that came up was a private message. And I didn't get any permission from them, so I'm not going to mention their name, but they know who they are because they listen to our podcast. Um, but Mac Ray Edwards was a person that I had never heard about before. He was born on October 17th in 1918. And he died on October 30th, 1971, which is one of my favorite years in cars. But aside from that, um, he was an American heavy equipment operator. And this is what tied this person on our, this is why the Facebook discussion groups are so important because this person drew their own conclusions. Like, well, here you have an American heavy equipment operator. Well, who uses heavy equipment operators? Road construction, right? Mm -hmm. Um, He was a child and sex abuser and serial killer. He sexually molested and murdered at least six children in Los Angeles County, California, between 1953 and 1970. He was sentenced to death where he committed suicide by hanging himself in a prison cell. Um, So this guy falls right within the timeline. He's found guilty in 1970. But the things that I I really want to express about why this guy struck me as somebody that, that had a potential um, within our case is that there is a missing, there's a blank period um, within the late sixties. And our company that was working on the road construction did work out West. It is possible that he might've traveled with that core group of people. Um, so it, it is possible. Now we can't put him in Hannibal, Missouri. But once again, his name is Mac Ray Edwards. If you type him up, his face comes up immediately because he is listed. And once again, this is the the looming aspect of serial killers in the late 60s, starting at the Summer of Love, right? So 1967 and on. This is another one. And this guy did not mind killing children in groups. I mean, he fits the profile of somebody that was uh, pretty crazy. Um the the idea that a person like this exists and then he's quoted and this is just very very strange and it's it's very dark too but edwards expressed so they they interviewed him after he was caught in los angeles for killing and dismembering six kids um and probably more um which is why i'm totally against the death penalty when it relates to serial killing because we don't know how many people he killed um but edwards expressed no remorse in the interview but said, when asked why he turned himself in, which is something that was kind of like conjecture for a while, a lot of people thought that the police caught him, but he actually turns himself in, which I think is kind of weird for a serial killer. But he said, I couldn't eat and I couldn't sleep. It was beginning to affect my work. 
I'm a heavy equipment operator. That grader I was using cost a lot of money, upwards of $200,000. And I might rock it, or I might turn it over and hurt someone. Let's, wow. Wow. So let's hold on. I'm going to disseminate that for a second yeah. in case people didn't catch that. He is worried about ruin, like breaking <laughs> equipment. He's not worried that he just killed children. Mm-hmm. He's worried about hurting the equipment that he's working on. Yes. Yeah, it's narcissist. It's narcissistic. Wow. It's wow. narcissistic behavior because it's about him. It's about he doesn't want to go down as a bad heavy equipment operator because that's his job and he <laughs> wants to be professional. Now. But like wow. this is what he said. This is how he expressed it. And this is how we understand that he was a heavy equipment operator. Um, so this is one of the paths that we had gone down. And Jackie Myrick and I have been doing it. But um, unfortunately, it kind of came to a halt. Um, the the other strange thing, though, <laughs> that I will mention as we kind of close out, uh, and once again, just so you guys have his name, um, his name is Mac, like the Mac truck, um, Ray Edwards, Mac Ray Edwards. Uh, once again, it's the three name. The three words. Yeah, yeah the three, three word yep. thing. So, yep. um, and Jackie actually gave me a message. He said, not having any luck putting Mac Ray Edwards in Missouri so far. Did whoever contra- <laughs> contacted you suggest him? have any other info that might be useful. Um, and that is actually my question to the person that actually mentioned about this person, Mac Ray Edwards. If you, if, why did that, why did you think, or how did that, how did your idea come to an you know, office gate within our, our story here? So is it just because, you know, you're a good thinker and you're kind of putting two to two together or is there more to it? Did, did, did somebody in your family know this person? Is there a relation to him being in Missouri? Hey, Frankie, let's. I, I want to dig down this path for just a second. It, I, there's a couple things when talking about this sure. that kind of kind of pulled some thoughts to me and, and makes me think about some things. Uh, the first thing I want to mention is that, you know, we talk about uh, him being a construction worker, and that's something else we've talked about in the past is that, you know, what exactly are, is there possibility that somebody that worked for the construction company may have done something to the boys? That's that's a thought to always keep our mind on. We've gone down the path before, but we've never been successful, and in, in I may throw this out there to any anybody that's interested in going down that path, is that we would really like to see a roster. I know, like, that, they the construction company that was there worked out of kansas city so maybe the kansas city uh unions that would have dealt with the construction company may have had rosters from 67 so that's a possibility we've talked about but we've never really ventured down that road so you know something to think about but the other thing i want to think about going back to what what you think would be the issue with a guy like that that you were talking about where we when you first started, it's like, oh, he, he's, he was gu- he was feeling guilty for killing the kids. Obviously, he was feeling guilty, but it wasn't for killing the kids, which is ridiculous and crazy. Mm-hmm. But let's apply that concept to what we're doing, and let's apply it to maybe if it was a construction person. We are 50-plus years after this happened. Do you think there would be a conscious person out there that would feel guilty about what happened if they knew something, say they buried the kids or something like that do you think that eventually that would come to play that somebody would com- admit that they something happened i mean wouldn't that just feel likely as we go through time well it's a good question because i was actually asked that recently um on a radio show and it wasn't the same one it was about true crimes and stuff like that and there was a person on there and i'm, and I'm forgetting their name but 
she answered it so eloquently and I love the way she answered it um, because it wasn't really political, but in a sense in today, she talked, she talked a lot about in today's world in today's world, our ethics and values and morality is very different. We don't have this higher being that is at the focus of our conversations or our conscious. And so what happens is, is that people today feel more inclined to keep secrets secrets that there is no guilty factor there is no well there's probably nothing at the other end anyway might as well just keep this a secret because a i love this person or b this person was my family how will i look and then she got into that that's the other thing about it right um with the embellishment of news on every side really Mm-hmm. even including within podcasts and fabricating evidence and hating cops because something happened to one person. The idea that you can be canceled, exploited, all because of something that happened within your family is hard for people to come out even more today and talk about things like that. Even if they did know, they would probably want to remain 100% anonymous, which doesn't help our case at all. Because anonymity, although great, we can't prove it. If you don't want to talk to a cop, no chain of custody, we can't do anything. Like, okay, it's speculation. And it's not even good because if I went to a cop and said, we know who did it, but they won't talk. He's like, welcome to the club. (laughs) Like, (laughs) You know what I'm saying? So it's a little long-winded answer. But at the same time, you you have to take into the fact that I think that if you're – if you and you're also – you're 55 years away. The average construction worker – could have been anything from 17 years old all the way up to 35 years old. So you're looking at an age range between 70 and 85 years old. So yeah. people are living longer, but so that kind of work is different. That brings me that then I think that that's something that you can speculate on is that let's just say that as time goes by, that guilty conscience grows and grows. Um, maybe they passed away. Maybe, as we know, uh, the construction company had a, a bunch of mysterious deaths following yep. uh, the uh, boys missing or disappearing. But maybe you can make the the argument that that maybe nobody did have anything to do with it. If we are fifty plus years, if you had fifty years plus fi- you know seventeen to thirty five, like you said, man, it seems like a long time to hold on to a secret like that and not tell anybody. So it almost makes you wonder: okay, is it not? A, a secret at all? Is there nothing out there that suggests that that was the case at all? I mean, you, I almost think that as time goes by and these people that were construction people back in that day for that construction company, that eventually it, it's just going to be that if they keep going, it's just not a thing that actually exists. Yeah. Well, my, my family, like I said, is, is, was union. Um, my dad just told me this the other day. I, I didn't even know this, but the man that he worked for for close to 40 years of, of his life, that man's business was basically bought and paid for by Jimmy Hoffa. Oh, and wow. that's who my father worked for. And I'll tell you what, when you had, you know, unions, especially in my family and stuff like that, like all my uncles were all large, heavy equipment operators. Um, they're a different breed of man. They really are. They're, they're just you know, their job, they know if, you know, can kill somebody in a second. Right. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, they kind of live that clock in clock out schedule and they can really compartmentalize as far as like, I'm going home now with my family. When we look at a case like this, where 
when you have and you get into more of the, the documentation that surrounds serial killers and killing in general, the best serial killers are always the most transient. Think of carnivals. Think of circus folk. Think of truck drivers. Think of mm -hmm. construction road crews. Um, and then think about you're going into major crises in the 70s and 80s in America where people are looking for work. We're going in through a recession. All these certain things are happening. You're, you're, 71 was a terrible year in America. You have the gasoline crisis, right? It's, a start, it's about to start happening. So you had a lot of people from all over the country that were working odd jobs, living in flop houses throughout the country, and there weren't any major highways that connected everything, but that was the birth of the serial killer, was the minute that we had all those open highways during the 1960s until now is when you start seeing the explosion of cross-country killers. Like Ted Bundy starts all the way in, 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 in Colorado and in California, all the way down to Florida. So if this is a person that worked road crews, it's almost impossible to pinpoint who a road killer might have been. Uh, you know, the truck driver theory is something that the hitchhiker remember the hitchhiker i mean this was this was a person too that that do you know what i'm saying so the, the the ample opportunistic person and even when you go back to some of our first interviews that we had um with some of the doctors that we talked to you know not all sex offenders kill them yeah. kill the kids and it's very rare that they do so you're looking for a person that's probably one in two million um and and let's take this into example too. Take um, you know BTK Zodiac, yes. uh, the Washington State. All those guys they held Green on Herbert, for yep. a lost a long time, mm -hmm. and they finally got caught. So I mean, yeah, I mean if you want to go to the to the serial killer aspect, I think it works. I think if you want to dig a little deeper into this, I and, may, and this is a good question to ask somebody. I don't know who the heck to ask, but the question would be this: is is it more likely that somebody like a serial killer that has mental issues is going to be less likely to com uh, admit to crimes than, say, a normal person that did something accidentally? So, say, for an our scenario, say if it's a person that's a construction worker, good person, never you know goes to church on Sundays, uh, friendly, all that stuff but ends up accidentally killing somebody, is it going to be harder for them to hold a secret like that than it would be, say, a serial killer? And it's a great question. And, and I really, I don't, I wouldn't even know to begin how to answer it because it, it's a great question because can you live with guilt as a serial killer, right? Here we have remorse of somebody that's afraid to use $200,000 equipment. At the same time, you have remorse in different settings where, taking case of prolific serial killer Henry Lee Lucas killed two people but was responsible for 158 deaths because he claimed that he killed over 158 people which to this day the Texas Rangers will not lift even though George W. Bush gave him a stay of execution because even the President of the United States didn't believe he killed that many people because it was impossible <laughs> that's a famous case is the Henry Lee Lucas case and Henry Lee Lucas was in bed with a person that was charged with the murder of Adam Walsh so they knew each other. There was a network. And I think this is what Candace and, and, and Denise, the last time we were talking about, that, that this network of serial killers, this network of child pornographers. And so, you know, it, 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 it extends, you know, my side of, of this podcast to, to a point where, you know, I'm not saying I, I don't believe anything's impossible. I think if it happened, it's possible it, that you can solve it. Um, but it's like you said, I mean, in the last year alone, last couple years, we've solved the Golden State Killer, the Zodiac Killer, which people thought they were never going to solve. Right. 
Um, and, you know, we start to look at other criminals, um, the co-ed killer. All these things are happening at the same exact time. So you have to understand these little well-established, it's almost like when you look at like dynasties, right? Like the LA Lakers or the Boston Celtics or the Buffalo Bills and the Dallas Cowboys, right? We all remember those football teams. But in those years and in those leagues, there were other teams that were just as good. They just yep. didn't have the notoriety. Right. So it has to stand that all these these serial killers that have all this notoriety, there were others out there that were doing the same thing that just weren't getting caught. And the the, the best case file you can ever read is Jack the Ripper's from the FBI. In 1981, it was done. Um, you can read actually how they profiled Jack the Ripper. And even in the report, the FBI states that Jack the Ripper probably stopped killing people because he got tired of it. Huh, got bored. Yeah. Huh. So it is possible that this person, but 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 getting back to the, the original point that you made too, and getting away from serial killers, it could have been that somebody lived with this guilt their entire life, yeah. and somebody out there, a child, a grandchild, a sister, an uncle, somebody knew that it happened, and they always kept that secret. But that person is long past. Mm-hmm. You know, if that person is out there and they're listening to us, and they say, "Listen, I don't want to bring this up, but I think maybe," and this is what happened with Tommy Terrence Hill. That was her family, and she put herself out there. Yeah, because at the end of the day, she was more about solving this. Because you can tell that you could be, you could be, you could be split different, you know. But Mm -hmm. it is, it's it's an interesting perspective because, although we haven't been on the air since November, I think about this case almost every day, and I I think you do the same. And it's just like, like how are we going to pinpoint this? And if it is somebody on that damn road crew, who remembers these people living in that town that weren't even from there? So it's transient. Yeah, it is definitely. Uh, yeah, there's and there's just a lot of pathways too. And I, you kind of mentioned about thinking about it every day, and and that's something too is that you know, uh, you know, between where I work and, and just doing other things, it, so many people bring up the the like it's so weird, like it's random. Like one of the days you mentioned Tommy Tommy Terrence Hill, it's like I just randomly say they're like, well, have you found anything out more about the about the the minister guy? And I'm like, holy cow! I mean, <laughs> it's just so random that. I get those comments every once in a while. Like, so, the, but I guess what I'm trying to say in that standpoint is there's still so many pathways that we've gone down and I feel like we've, we've eliminated some of the rabbit holes, but then on the same aspect. And I, I think to an extent, Frankie, I think that's part of the reason why, um, we're not expanding more of our stuff right now is because I think we're at the point where there's, we're going to like break a leg because of (laughs) how many rabbit holes are in our yard right now. Um, and and I I don't want to add more until we can cover up some of these holes and make at least some sort of pathway uh, before we start digging more holes. But, uh, you know, and I think that may be part of the reason why that we're, we're kind of, um, you know, no, no pun intended, but dragging our feet on this um, is because of that is, is because there's so many pathways still. In, and we have eliminated some, like I said, but I still feel like there's still a lot more to do. Yeah. It's like we aerated a, you know, a putting green. It's just so <laughs> many holes. Um, but at the same time, I mean, there's, there's, um, you ran into somebody that ran into Charles Stewart. Yeah. Which I thought was once again, cause you live there, right? Yeah. I go to the office sometimes and I'm like, Hey, when are you guys put down another episode? And I love that, you know, Greenwald, yeah. David Greenwald is, a, is just a, he's been with the company for so long and I love talking to him cause he's so entranced by, by our, our podcast and, and is, you know, people really love the, it's kind of like a puzzle, right? 
And so when you run into somebody in town and they tell you that Charles Stewart has it solved and he's putting out another book and um, man, did yeah. I get some fire from Denise from that statement. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, uh, I don't know if you have anything else. I, I do have some some. That some is my true crime work. path for now. Okay. So, okay. Uh, so let's take care of some of the housework we got, some of the yard work, some of the rabbit holes. Not really, but we'll still take care of something. Sounds good. Uh, hey, we had, uh, we did, as you've heard, you've probably seen on Facebook. If you're not on Facebook, we'll fill you in now. Uh, we did, uh, we were there uh, with the uh, MoDOT as well as uh, some cavers. I apologize. I meant to write down the name of the cavers uh, that were there, but I didn't. But that was on February 11th and 12th of this year. Uh, they It was a Friday and Saturday. I think there was about six to eight cavers on both days. Uh, they expected they were going to get the whole cave mapped, and we're talking about Lost Boys uh, Cave. They were expecting to get it all mapped, and they didn't because they weren't expecting it to be as big as it was and is. Um, so that tells you something. They're going to be doing some more... Uh, some more exploring, some more uh, some more mapping coming up sometime in the near future. There hasn't been a date set on that yet. Uh, on that note, I'm just going to throw this out there real quick. A shout out uh, to Raja Maples and uh, for her coverage. She did a really good job of really making sure that everything was covered. I'm, I'm going to go ahead and say it. I was a former WGEM employee, and I was a very disappointed by WGEM's coverage of the things. They actually got some stuff wrong in their broadcast, which was very unfortunate. But uh, KHQA has been top-notch but chad when he was there chad douglas mm -hmm. was there did an amazing job now raj is kind of taking the reins on this lost boys side and she's super excited to be a part of it um so we're excited that uh, raj has got that interest but going back to the cave stuff i do want to mention too um we talked about these cave searchers and mappers that were there and i told julie unfortunately julie was sick the weekend our, mm. our great caver and geologist uh she was sick that weekend couldn't make it uh, mark who's been another person that's been helping us out with the uh, investigation he came but uh julie was super excited because the group that was coming in she's like these are like the top-notch cavers uh so like and it's a cave uh, search team but she's like these are like your upper echelon of cave uh, searchers so it was really yeah. cool to have that experience back there in hannibal back in february uh but i do want to tell you that uh besides that again they've explored it and we got more exploring to do there was no exciting nothing out of the normal no new passageways as of yet uh but we're still holding on there was a, a news uh a, a Facebook post uh, by um, a certain group that said that the boys are not there. However, um, I'm not going to put words into anybody's mouth, but I have said there are some other officials that have said we can't make that justification yet. We can't come out and flat out say that we have not found any evidence because the whole thing hasn't been searched yet. We still have more caves yeah. to search. So we can't really say that. I mean, again, I've said on Facebook, I said the chances of finding the boys are really slim. You know me and percentages. I'm sitting at like still like 3%, maybe 1% chance of seeing the boys in the cave. But we can't say it's a complete zero until the whole cave's been mapped. Frankie, you got any thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, just, just sitting here listening and kind of reiterating some of the stuff we had talked about when you were doing all this. And um, I remember going on the radio show, and I remember you doing that with Roger, which I thought was... It was awesome because here we have another correspondent, a person we can reach out to that we really trust. And KSQA has been really dynamic in the coverage of the Lost Boys because they're they're actually doing like real news work, yep. <laughs> which is very rare today. Like they actually <laughs> ask questions before they assume and, and calculate on their assumption. Um, so that was it's refreshing. Um, so you know when I when I look at 
what you guys had, had been doing over there and bringing in like pro leaguers to come in and cave, I saw so many different um, posts as well, especially on like hometown Hannibal, which we're, we're a part of. We, we will post on that every now and then. It's also pretty funny. It's a pretty funny Facebook thread. Sometimes the, the posts are just so out of, out of, out of the, <laughs> just out of the ballpark. Um, it's like, I found a wallet on fifth street. <laughs> I'm leaving at this gas station. I'm like, what? Um, but that's Hannibal. Um, but you know, so when I look at like people, you know, thinking that they, that we have this solved, I, I wish it was that easy because like you said, like every time they go to search something or they dig something, they can see stuff from 1967, which I think is mm. fascinating. But then there's a whole other, there's a whole other theory that's encompassed like silt and how far does the silt go down? And was the silt there back in 1967? So yeah, we just don't have any answers, but the good news is, is that, it's not. It's not stopping. We're, we're not done yet. Like it's yeah. there. There still could be a conclusion. There's a lot more technology that's going to be read and fueled in that area, uh, which you can get into more than I could. But yeah, I mean, this has been your undertaking too. I really haven't. I've been. I've been so busy at work, but and so have you. So yeah. for you to have actually taken time to do all that stuff was pretty incredible. Well, and I will point out. I can't say a lot right now, uh, but I can tell you that. Um, some some other stuff has been found um and so even though and we've talked about a little bit resistivity and things like that we did get uh, some information from modot recently probably about within the last year of, of resistivity data for that area and finally had a really good chance especially with uh the cave searches that we've done uh, to to kind of we've been able to plot uh, like plot over the top of gps data so like when our cave searchers went in the first few times uh, one of them had a gps coordinates on them so they it was able to pick it up like where they were walking at in the cave and then we were able to take that on put that on google earth and then we were able to take the resistivity data and put that on top of google earth and we were able to find those paths of where the resistivity data was at However, and let me explain this real quick. Resistivity is pretty much, they take a little charge, they explode it, and then there's a sensor on top of the ground that tells if there's any voids in the ground. So that's the, the nickel tour of what that is. But so <laughs> what we've done with that is we plot those things where the cave's at. However, in doing so, we're finding other sections that we cannot explain and not get to right now. And, and more specifically, if you're looking at that area where the, the junction of uh, Fulton Street and 79 nine meet like right where the school is at there are some sections underneath that little intersection that we cannot get to um, and you can you can put uh, the Lost Boys Cave and then also the Stoll School Cave, which was found a few years ago. But we we've tried we plotted both of those maps onto the resistivity data, and we still can't find entryways to these holes. And again, Frankie, we've been saying this for three years now. That is ground zero, literally ground zero, where mm -hmm. the boys were missing. So we want to make sure that we get all those holes figured out before we move on to the next thing. And and that's why I was trying to say with I can't say a lot right now because. Um, there's there's more data that needs to, more research that needs to be done in that area and we're finding some new things that are making us not be able to check mark that spot off yet until uh we uh dig into every hole that's out there so it's and it's interesting that you say ground zero because it brings up another thought that we had talked about before we did the show was this janitor and i have heard from so many people on our discussion groups and once again it's why it's important that you're a part of this it doesn't cost anything to be a member you can just get on the facebook and start 
pumping out your ideas because all ideas are new ideas in my opinion. And sometimes if there is overlap, maybe there's a different ink link into what you're thinking. But this janitor, we've, we're hearing it now from it's got to be over 100 people. There's no way he could have seen the boys from that building from where he was and where the boys were on the ledge of Lover's Leap. But that ground zero is exactly where this um, resistivity happened. And it's putting them at the last place they were seen, too. So that's not only eerie, but it's very interesting. And, you know, like I said, we can't say that this will be the the finite solution. But if you're in the true crime court, it kind of like raises your eyebrows. And in my opinion, and I think I've said this before, you know, I'd rather die doing something I loved than be, than having my life taken from me. You know what I'm saying? And mm-hmm. so, like, you know, it's always been my 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 hope, um, if there is hope in this case, that that the boys were at least doing something that they enjoyed and that they loved and they were together. Um, and so maybe that is a new entryway. Maybe that does. But this janitor thing, I, I just think that if anybody's a relation, if anybody knew them or if anybody – if you went to school and you remember him, if there's anything, yeah. I'm not saying that he did it either. I don't want to say that. No, 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 no. But it is weird that he puts himself in the twice. story twice. So twice, and I had to pull it up again. We're three years deep into this. Thomas Breedlove is the person that we're we're talking about. Uh, he actually in the report in the CARES report saw him twice, or saw the boys twice. Um, I'm trying to find the exact time the first time they saw, it, but it was pretty they were circling. A, they were circling a garage. Yeah, and that was around, I believe that was around 350 or so. Yeah. Um, that was the first time. Maybe it was around 415. Uh, but 515, Thomas Breedlove was the one that saw the boys on the terrace. And again, um, like you said, Frankie, there's been so many people that are like, that's not possible. There were houses there on on um, yeah. Riverside Street. He couldn't have saw it. They were two-story houses. You know, from my angle, it was really neat. And I got to give Chris Schultz from Moldot uh, love because he brought me and Mark and we walked the terrace levels that day there's pictures on our discussion group uh, of those picture of those uh, locations we were at but having an access to that area and be able to see the opposite way for a change and be able to see how high i mean you're probably 100 feet above highway 79 on that top terrace i mean it's way up there it's higher up there than what you expect when you're looking up that terrace mm. it's a lot higher than what it really looks like from from the ground level so Again, take a look at the pictures. I, I I know there's been tons of people that said there's no way that Thomas Breedlove saw the boys on the terrace level. I know the boys were on the second terrace level, not on the top terrace level. That makes a little bit of a difference. But I still I can't get behind that yet. But again, I also have a problem, like you said. So many people are saying it's not possible. So now I'm like... What do we have to work? What do we got to do here? You know, but I do want to bring up another point with that. And that's a kind of a step back thing. Mm -hmm. And that is, let's just say these people that are saying this is right. And they're saying, no, there's that he didn't see him. And it's a fabricated story. So what's that do for our timeline, Frankie? So what that in my, I'm looking at it right now, according to that, that would make us 510 as the mm. last time because yep. that would go to the school teacher uh, Lois Kohler who saw her, saw the boys driving now, I'm just going to go ahead and read this she was driving um, onto Fulton from Cyprus and she glanced out the window to see the boys squatting on the first terrace level above the construction site on Highway 79 she could see that Billy had something in his hand so that was first terrace level at 510 I mean what do you think What do, does anything pop into your mind when, when you 
here that maybe we go back to the 510 scenario instead of the 515 scenario as the last time they were seen? So any detective will tell you, and we're dealing with this right now as we start to move toward the Lemp film. As you guys know, it's been one of my projects before. And the biggest thing in that film is the timeline. The timeline is everything. Um, But the problem with timeline is what good detectives, but not all detectives, but what good detectives always look for people in servitude. They always look for the collar. Because the reason that is is because... People that are doing the blue-collar work that are clocking in and clocking out know exactly their day. It's planned out for them pretty much. So in the case of the Elsa Lemp case, it's the maids. The maids know exactly where to be at what time in that house. So it's undeniable, right? In this particular case where you have a teacher leaving school, right? She was probably finishing up, grading, doing whatever she needed to do. Maybe she stopped at the market, whatever, and was going, and you have that timeline of 510, now, if Breedlove had heard that from somebody, then he puts his story there as well. So it's called overlap. So the, the time is actually 510, it's 545, it's May 10th, it's 1967, it's daylight savings. So it's still pretty bright out at five o'clock. I mean, it's the same as being almost two o'clock, three o'clock. So it's pretty bright out. Um, now, I don't know if this factors in, but we do know <laughs> we're getting a lot of stuff about the weather that there was a lot of rain, and it's possible um, that maybe if you look around right now, okay, in my neighborhood, it's it's not May, but it's coming on April 1st, and we still don't have leaves on trees. So is it possible that, you know, the greenery and the foliage wasn't as thick as it normally would be in the height of summer? So you have to put that in perspective as well. But bringing it back down to the 510 timeline, that gives a lot more room, wiggle room. You know, that's it's an hour. It's 30, what was that put us at? 35 minutes that we've gotten back? Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I was just, I was, let, me play that, let me play that out just as a reminder. So, um, so at 545, Tim Hogue leaves the house to search for his brothers. Um, and then at uh, 550, Tim talks with the Bramlett boys. 555 Tim returns home uh, as he's returned home he sees the school bus so yeah then we're going back um, so you're looking at 545 is when those boys had to be had to be on the bus to go back to um, go for that uh, for the meeting so yeah Which 510 looking- if they're starting to make their way down to the terrace and get home for the yep. for the school event or the youth group event which I think Denise has confirmed correct yeah yes yeah um, so yeah, I don't know. I think I think really, yeah, I don't know if it changes. Uh, I think it makes it a little bit easier for them to get back home in time. So I think the aspect of um, if 510 is the last play, then I don't know if we can, and that's very speculative, but I don't mm-hmm. know if we it changes anything. Uh, but it does give them five extra minutes to get home and get ready to go to that meeting that night. But, um, yeah, but, but it puts them, I think the bigger thing, Frankie, is it puts them on the first terrace level yep. as the last place they were seen, which is closer to Fulton Avenue, which means they're closer to potentially somebody saying, do you want a ride? Um, than they are so on the second terrace level where they might have been seen coming back down at some point in time. So this comes back to um, the first level terrace. If you're putting them in a time frame where they need to get home, you have who else is getting off work at that time? Everybody on the road crew. Opportunistic killer. Comes yeah. down Fault Nav because really it's the only road that's out. Everything else is construction, right? 
Mm-hmm. So they're coming off that road. They see the three kings. They're flagged down. He might be in the car. This road crew guy might be in the car with the culprit or whatever. Opportunistic killer picks the kids up, heads out of town. Kids are never seen again. Yeah. Maybe they never come back to the work again. That night, everything ensues. Within 48 hours, you have a ground crew there of 200 cavers. Bucking I don't know. I, I really, but, that, but that's something that always pops up, too. I, that's, and that, once again, it's not the Frankie show. This is stuff <laughs> that I've read on Facebook. But I don't here. Let's talk about this. I don't. I don't think it changes anything though, because five minutes really, in all honesty, not only five minutes, but being on the second terrace instead of the first terrace, it really honestly doesn't change much. It does change if it's road crew, because road crew wouldn't be getting off at six; they'd be getting Remember, off around five. They were five. working later those times. They were That's working, true too. They were working later. They weren't working a normal off at five p.m. shift. So um, yeah, they were behind, right? Yeah, yeah. So they were working later at night. So yeah, so man, um, it doesn't. Yeah, so I mean, I don't think even, and I, and that's fine. And people can speculate that Thomas Breedlove didn't see it, and maybe he didn't, maybe he did, but I don't think in the bottom line it really changes anything. So, but it's something to think about. I mean, it, and maybe until maybe you guys got ideas too. Throw us out ideas. What what does that yeah. change with the timeline? Does that change how stuff could happen? Um, so, yeah. so I think mean, we about have cops. That. We have cops out there. Listen to us. I mean, they'd be the perfect. Yeah. We have detectives. Yeah. Um, and that's the thing too. It's a fun show because we're really trying to almost, we're almost recapping all of our seasons and, and possible entryways and, you know, everything that we've heard and seen online because guys we're right there with you. And trust me, it will, it not knowing is absolutely atrocious. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> it's exactly. not only atrocious for their family, but when you get involved in this type of case, it's rough. Yeah. So let's uh, a couple of things I want to finish up real quick before we wrap things up. Uh, another thing Chris Schultz gave to me, he was doing a presentation for an internal presentation for a MoDOT uh, thing, and uh, he gave me some information. He was going across the Missouri Highway Commission meeting minutes from back in 1967, and ironically, he came across. I don't want to steal thunder. Uh, I know we're going to have Chris on eventually, so I'm not going to go much detail into this, but he came across a thing in June of 67, and it was a um, somebody from the Missouri Speological. Hey, I'm getting better at that survey. So good. Yeah, uh, his name was Earl Biffle, and he actually presented at the survey asking if um, MoDOT and, and the Missouri Highway Commission would allow for cavers to go and do searching and mapping of caves on Missouri right of ways. Which is very ironic because in today's world, because of what happened there and the Missouri Highway Commission approving that, we are doing today what we are doing with the cave searching on February 11th and 12th. So something that happened a month after the boys went missing in 1967 is happening today because of that effort from a guy named Earl Biffle. And that's, once again, it's because the boys went missing. So, you know what I'm saying? Like... It, it, when you see these bills, right, the Jelani Day has a bill now. One of these kids, uh, great kid, school. I, I mentioned him a couple times ago. I've, I've posted some stuff on our Facebook and our Instagram about Jelani Day and how just terrible and tragic that case is. Um, and it's so messed up with the cops because now there's a war between the family and the cops. And, and I advise them not to do that because that just – it creates a whole other case that you don't want to be bothered with. But – once again, that is kind of like seeing like how law and how things got passed because kids went missing, right? Yeah. That they have this right to do that, which is awesome. Um, and it might even help our case. But I, I think that what's even uh, – and I think maybe you want to mention this too, but it might be in your list. But 
getting back into things that are said, overheard, we should just call it, you know, things overheard on Lost Boys of Hannibal Facebook page, <laughs> the aqueducts. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, and it's ironic as uh, I was very fortunate to spend a lot of time, a lot of quality time with uh, a couple of the MoDOT guys. Uh, Brian is another one who is a district engineer for Northeast District, and uh, we just, I got to go, we were just randomly talking. I was like, so what's what's going on? Are you guys staying busy? What's your big project? And he's like, well, it's actually down the hill here. And he's talking about the uh, viaduct of the overpass, whatever you want to call it. There's a stretch that goes from down downtown Hannibal and it goes above and it comes up high goes over some streets there is a um, a railroad track that goes underneath it then it goes across Bear Creek and then it matches up on the other side on south side they're going to be uh, tearing that down and starting over and uh, to an extent they're uh, they got to make it put a new you know overpass in and so uh, they got to make it ADA compliant and all this stuff so of course my the moment he says that my bell rings in my head <laughs> and says uh, so I say to him it's like so uh, what do you, what do you have planned for the pillars that are happening? <laughs> yep. um, so he, I, and I'm going to, I'm going to go ahead and say it. His first thought was, uh, I hope we, we hope we, uh, hope we find the boys before we start, before we start construction, because it's, so what he was trying to say there was that uh, he, it's, they, it's on their mind. It's on MoDOT's mind that they have to look into these pillars, because as we know, uh, it's been 50 years that, this has been a subject that there's been people that speculated that the boys fell into these pillars as the concrete was drying and they, they were killed in the pillars. Um, so now next summer and next spring will be them actually replacing those pillars and starting that new bridge. So that is on MoDOT's mind to actually uh, take a look at that. So but kind of kind of another big story there for what we've been doing. And once again, it bright, it'll probably brighten up our page. It'll brighten up our listeners too, because you know you heard it here first. Just playing, <laughs> like we're a news station. But um, the thing too is that like uh, I've already tapped Chris and be like, hey, if we can be there, that'd be great to bring out some cadaver dogs. They can smell right through cement. Um, so you know, it is kind of a special moment because once again, all these theories that we've been reading about, and this is not a theory that's like because of our podcast. This is a theory that has been probably living out there since the boys went missing um but once again you have a multi-million dollar project probably back then putting up that that aqueduct or Mm -hmm. viaduct and you're not wanting to tear down poles and restart construction so once again you get into the same scenario yeah so so we'll keep that on our agenda for uh coming up next year and i'm sure brian will talk about it once uh, once we do have the chance to have brian and chris on here for an episode coming up sometime in the near future but frankie uh that is all i have on my list that is all i have as well it's been fun chatting with you yeah you too we should do this more often we should (laughs) i think our fans would love that um but once again we want to keep it fresh and we want to keep it clean and we want to keep our music fresh as well so we're hoping you're enjoying the tunes and the one that i chose for this episode so from all of us here at the lost boys of hannibal network i'm frankie campoletta i'm chris ketters and we'll be seeing you still remains within the sound of silence In restless dreams I walked alone Narrow streets of cobblestone 